Hi, I'm Nicole Haney. I'm a business coach who helps goal-driven business owners build the life and business of their dreams. In this podcast, I share tactical advice on building your business, mindset tips, and inspiring interviews to help you build your business and change your life. This is the Goals and Gratitude Podcast. Okay, so thank you so much for being here with us, Jake. Um, Just to get us started, for those who don't know who you are yet, uh, can you tell us a little bit about yourself and what it is you do? Well, I'm super fired up to be here. Um, I hope we hear a dog on the podcast today. That would be a fun interruption. But um, yeah, my name is Jake. I'm I'm 30 years old. Uh, I'm one of the co-founders of a brand called Midday Squares, which we we like to say is a... uh, Functional chocolate bar, the first functional chocolate bar. Basically, imagine you were to create a brand in 20, imagine you're creating a modern day chocolate snacking company in 2024. That's what we're trying to create um, at scale, like a modern day Hershey's or a modern day Mars, the better for you category with a brand that's actually culturally relevant. And uh, my partners are my sister, my brother-in-law. And the type of person I am, for those who don't know, is I'm a crazy person. I like to say an energizer bunny or like a hype person. Uh, my whole mission in life is to make people feel something deeply inside, spread positivity every day and show the world that you could win by just being unapologetically yourself. And if you see me on video right now, I'm wearing glasses indoors. That's me being me. I don't give a, uh, I don't know if it's a swearing podcast or anything. I don't give an ant eh, um, what people think. So I think that that's um, something that I've learned over time is that you gotta, you gotta be really proud of who you are and, and a kind soul, but you gotta be proud of who you are and, and you gotta be yourself every day. Amazing. I, and I love that messaging that you guys have. And I love how you just like show up authentically all the time. And it's not just something that you're saying, like, I see you doing this consistently on social media. When I met you in person, like you were very much an authentic human being. Um, and so I really, really appreciate that. And we are going to talk more about that in today's podcast. Cause I think that is something that's hard for a lot of people. Um, but first I want to talk a little bit about the midday scores journey and like how you guys got started. So, um, because you have achieved a lot of success and I know that a lot of, um, entrepreneurs in general, but specifically food entrepreneurs, I talk to really look up to you guys. Um, and so tell us a bit about that journey. Like, how did you guys get started? Yeah, great. First of all, I appreciate you. I appreciate all your support that you've had for us over the time and over the years, actually. And, you know, meeting you in person was was a really fun, fun time. And the event that you put on was absolutely phenomenal. And I'm grateful that I've been part of that. So just wanted to let you know that. But I think that Midday Scores' journey is interesting. You know, people see it as a five-year, um, you know, journey, but it actually happened way before we launched in August 2018. This bar was being created by my sister, as a hobby snack for my brother-in-law as like an afternoon snack to get him through uh, from like two to 5 PM because he was eating a bunch of junk chocolate, like the high sugar palm oil chocolate. And she's like, I can make you something cleaner. And she loved food ingredients and all that stuff. So she, she was, she was creating this, you know, conjunction or consu- you know, this, this amount of clean ingredients into a chocolate snack. And he would take it to work every day and his team loved it and he freaked for it and they loved it. And then three years later, they wanted to work together on a business and they didn't know what it was, but they knew food was something they were both very passionate about. And they were exploring. They tried morning oats. They tried some other businesses. 
And they didn't realize that the product was right in front of them for so long. And then my brother-in-law stumbled on a report that was like from a large corp here in Canada. It showed that dark chocolate was growing very fast year over year and that vegan plant-based proteins were also growing, you know, year over year. And he realized that these two saturated markets actually had some major growth and that my sister was literally just creating a baby of these two huge markets. So the plant-based ingredients, you know, mixed with dark chocolate, real chocolate, not the palm oil, the, you know, the high sugar, all that chocolate. So then they realized, oh my God, we have the product right in front of us. That's the perfect product and data is behind it. So then they basically reached out to a couple of food scientists, you know, in the McGill, you know, McGill School of, I think, I can't remember what it's called, the, their food department, but we reached out to them and they helped commercialize the product that we were, that my sister was creating for years. And then they came to me in, in July of 2018 and we're like, hey, we have this amazing product, Ray to Rock. It's going to rock the world. It's got product market fit. People so far love it that we've sampled it to. We need you to come in as a third partner and build this brand, make noise, make people excited, a fan of this company. And I, I first, I was very hesitant to join because I was like, the food industry is very tough. There's 40,000 products on a typical supermarket shelf. And, you know, it's very hard to differentiate yourself unless you have immense amount of dollars in your pocket to buy up real estate in the store. And we just didn't have that. So they said to me, they said, that's your job to figure out if you join as the third founder, you need to just blow up this brand and, and make it relevant, make it exciting, make it something that consumers want to get behind, not just because the product's great and has product market fit, but because they feel something emotional from the brand. And I decided, you know what, at the time I was like going through a hard time in my life. I was, you know, feeling really depressed. I was, I just got out of a relationship where I got broke, you know, she canned me. I, I said, can she broke up with me? And, um, you know, I, I, I closed my other business. I went bankrupt on it. So I was in this weird zone of my life and I decided to say, screw it. I believe in my partners, my two partners. I love the product. And I was like, okay, let's do this. And my strategy was simple. I said, if we want to win in food, we've got to treat this like a completely other industry. We've got to treat it like the musician world or the artist world where, you know, to become a fan of an artist, you got to either, you got to like their music or, and you got to like them typically, or it's a mix of both or one or the other, but it's not just, I like the product. So I said, we're going to create a reality show on entrepreneurship, show the good, the bad, the ugly. That way, when we build our marketing, it's not about it's not about just the chocolate bar because that would be so boring over time. Once or twice you'd see it and you'd be like, oh, I don't want to see that again. So I said, why don't we just get emotionally really involved in the consumer's life where we could relate to them as a human. And that way, when they go to the grocery store where there's 40,000 products and just one midday square slot, our product would stand out in the sense of they'll feel like they're buying from a friend, a family, family or a neighbor. And that was the thesis that we wanted to build it on. And then from there, it's been five years of absolute chaos, good, bad, ugly. And, uh, you know, I'm proud to say that we've sold 30 million chocolate bars to date. Um, we're one of the fastest growing in the US in our category, which is super exciting. And um, we built a fully automated chocolate factory that we own, which is unique because a lot of food companies don't do their own manufacturing. And um, we're still standing, you know, through the thick and thin. And we see therapy at least once to twice a week just to sustain the pain of building this business and the communication that's needed to build it. Your story is such an inspiring one. It really is. And I've been following you guys from very early days. Um, and I remember, is it right that you guys started by making these bars in your condo, like your tiny little condo? Yeah, my sister and brother-in-law's condo was where Midday Square started. And you know, this, this goes back to August, 2018, you know, we were hand making these midday squares 
every single day from 5 a.m. till 5 p.m., literally 60, 60 or 70 bars was the max we could make per day. And think about that's from 5 a.m. till 5 p.m. Then we would hand deliver the products to the customers because we couldn't afford shipping with Canada Post. So we would be going from 5 a.m. till about 10 p.m. every single day, rinse, repeat. We turned their condo into a chocolate factory. A shipping department was their bedroom. And we would literally charge 25 cents because we wanted sample program. So people were paying 25 cents, which is nothing, but these high quality bars that were getting hand delivered, you were meeting the founders and we were just hustling, blocking out all the noise, people making fun of us, they were laughing at us. And at the same time we were filming, cameras were rolling 24 seven. So we were sharing really raw content of the hustle of what it takes to build a business, especially in the startup stages where a lot of people don't show that stuff. So it was very unique to the customer where they were getting a very humanized experience and then a very high quality, very cared for product in terms of the manufacturing component. And uh, yeah, we did that for a, you know, a month and a half or two months before we moved into a small kitchen that we had to rent and then just hired a bunch of people to help us make more and more bars. I'm wondering if you guys knew what the food industry kind of looked like when you got into it, right? Zero clue. You know, we're three entrepreneurs that didn't come from food. You know, my sister is a really great executor and and, and she loves manufacturing. She was in fashion before this. And then my brother-in-law was a soft, is a software engineer and he was in the ad tech world previously. And then I was a community builder. I was building brands based on using social media to excite people. So we all loved food. You know, they are, my partners are extreme foodies, but at the end of the day, none of us had the experience from the food space prior. So when we came into the space, we just knew we had a great product that had potential because, you know, CPG is, it, it, it's, it's a game of like distribution logistics and then a bit of marketing and obviously like that, but we didn't know how hard this would be and how hard this journey would be to scale a business. Like, you know, we the think about it, like we had to build our own custom manufacturing. That means we had to become manufacturers, not just sales and marketing brand, but a manufacturer, which, you know, you think about manufacturing, it's industrial revolution. It's like old school and we're millennials, right? So we're young manufacturers, which is a great skill to have, but no one is interested in that. No one wants to be part of that. And early on, every investor, every, you know, strategic was like, why are you doing your manufacturing? It's the dumbest thing ever. Go co-manufacture your products. So you don't have to focus on that. And there was a lot of noise regarding not to do manufacturing yourself and to just co-man. There's no right or wrong answer. But now we're seeing a lot of the same folks that said those things completely change the tune and say, wow, this was a crazy cool idea and a really strong decision you guys made because your margin, your innovation is just so strong. It's so much, di it's, it's so different than other products. And um, yeah, I would say we ate a lot of pain, a lot of dog poo throughout this journey by dealing with both having a manufacturing company, which is very industrial, and then also having a brand that's a media company. So we have two companies under one roof and limited resources. Yeah. So then why choose to do your own manufacturing? So we went to 26 co-manufacturers co early on in the business. This is the, the most fascinating part. We wanted them to scale our product, but every single co-man manufacturer that did bars or chocolate bars, protein bars or chocolate bars, they all wanted to change the product. We would come in with a square and then it would come out as a circle or come out as a different product where they were like, okay, our machines can do this. We can build it like this. We want to use these ingredients. And then, you know, it wasn't the product that we pitched. It was a completely different product. So it started to look like, what everyone else was doing. And that that would just mean that our only differentiation as a company is simply the marketing, the communication, branding, packaging, you know, social media. But we said, 
we want to stay true to the innovation we created. We really believe that if you believe in yourself and you believe you could do something, you can figure it out. If they could put people on the moon, you know, we could build a chocolate bar, right? And that's what we did. So we went to 26. They were, they basically told us you're either going to have to change it um, and let us build it, or you're going to have to go invest and figure out how to make a manufacturing plan. And that's the worst decision you'll probably make. So after the 26th one, we realized we're going to go build this. And now we have, a, I'm proud to say we have a factory here in Montreal that now can do 90,000 bars per day from 60 bars in 2018. We're now able to do 90,000 bars. And these are 80% custom machinery. So there was no guarantee, by the way, when we ordered these machines, there was a deposit and you didn't get to test drive the machines like a car. And that was the scary part that we had to buy machinery that was all based on theoreticals. And um, my sister built out this place and she worked with engineers and figured it out. And it's not perfect, um, but we've learned so much that our next line that we put in is going to be close to perfect. And uh, yeah, I would say it's a skill set that not a lot of millennials focused on. And we're proud that we have that now. And it, it just gives a little bit more juice and, and intimacy and, and, and control in our company. Did you ever have a moment in those early days when you were like at first manufacturing by hand in a tiny condo, putting in like, you know, 14 hour days, 15 hour days, whatever it was, and then having to figure out manufacturing and having nobody believe in you. Did you ever have moments where you were like, this is not worth it? Like, why are we doing this? Yeah, we've wanted to throw the towel in like each of us separately, my partners and I at least 30 to 40 times throughout this journey. It's painful. You know, I. I didn't know this going in to the business that entrepreneur, especially in food and beverage, is extremely painful. It's, it's, it's not only is it a lonely road; it is a tough road. You, you know, it is difficult daily. It's yes, you get some amazing moments, and those are great and liberating, all that jazz. But a lot of it is just putting out fires daily and and dealing with the negative momentum. And you have to, as a leader, figure out how to build that positive momentum to inspire your team to make the movement to get things running. You're also dealing with food, which is such a, a safe, you know, it, it needs to be so safe. The quality needs to be so high because it's dangerous. Right. And um, so there's been multiple times where even recently where we wanted to throw the towel in and just give up because it's emotionally draining. It is physically draining. And then you get caught up with an amazing moment and you're like, this is why I do it. You know? So we've stayed in the game and we really believe that we could do it. So that keeps us going. And we always say that if we were to close this business, it'd be because we died on the hill and you'd have to drag us off because <laughs> and that's the truth. You know, that that's the truth. You know, I have this quote where, you know, whoever stays in the, whoever's able to deal with the most amount of pressure and withstand the most amount of stress will win because the game is not about how skilled you are. It's actually about how much can you take? How much pain can you deal with? And how much patience can you last through it? And if you just look at all the successful, you know, leaders and businesses, they've stayed in it a little bit longer. And that's the thing is, can you stay in it a little bit longer? Are you able to? And so far we have been able to. And that being said, um, I don't know what the future will, will, will hold, but it is really freaking hard. Like this journey is really, really hard. And and I wouldn't have it any other way because it's very liberating. But at the end of the day, there. It, there's moments where I cry myself to sleep. There's moments where I have to call a therapist twice or three times a week just to deal with the pain that we're going through. And, um, you know, there's a lot of doubt. There's a lot of judgment. There's a lot of, there's a lot of people that want you to lose that you even that care about you, believe it or not. And, um, yeah, it's just fucking hard. Excuse my language. I completely agree with what you're saying. And when you said it's not necessarily the most skilled person that wins at this, it really comes down to like, 
the time that you're willing to put in the persistence, the determination, and just kind of staying in the game. That is something that I've had to remind myself of sometimes on a daily basis, on a weekly basis, on a monthly basis that like, just stay in the game, just stay in the game, just keep putting one foot in front of the other. But I think, you know, it is a really hard thing to do. And it's really hard to keep going sometimes when you are under such immense stress and pressure. So what would you say would be the thing that kind of keeps you going, like keeps you putting that one foot in front of the other? I think the truth is, is, is two things. I think what keeps me going is knowing that I'm driving forward on my purpose, which I think I said at the beginning is to go out there and spread positivity and good vibes every single day to make people, whoever I get to see, feel something or, you know, impact daily, feel something very deeply inside. And thirdly is to show the world that you win at life, the game of life by just being unapologetically yourself every single day of your life. That is, that is winning. And that will bring you success and whatever you, you, you think success is. And the second thing I would say is, is self-belief, like self, un, unconditional self-belief. If you really believe in yourself, um, you you go and you fight through hard moments because hard moments aren't hard moments aren't a reason to give up. You know, adversity is, is usually when you find opportunity. Adversity is where you know you enter that zone of discomfort, which is a privilege because not everyone gets to go through that. And once you start changing the mindset into that perspective, you staying in the game is winning. And obviously there's moments when you do need to throw the towel in when, when it makes sense, but that's a skill too, to know when that time is right. But for me, that's what keeps me in is the unconditional self-belief and then the, and then the unconditional self-belief in myself. And then the ability to live every day or most days by the mission that I've put forward. And the moment I veer off of that is the moment I quit, I'll hand the keys into the business. I'll give you the shares because the moment that changes is the moment that I'll start hating my life because it's no longer freedom was which is why i entered the game of entrepreneurship was to have this ability to be free this ability to be myself and not have to you know follow rules and and that's not to say i, I follow the law i am not a violent person or anything i do break the law i follow the law but i'm i i make my own rules because life is so short you know it's such a short vacation you can't be living by other people's rules and that's not to say don't go work for somebody because i think that there's there's some great jobs, some great culture, some great organizations that allow you to be you. But if you're going to go and, and be in a place that you hate every day, you're going to do something or start your own business that you hate every day, then then you're losing that game of life, um, you know, and you're eating yourself away inside very quickly. Yeah, absolutely. Like, I love that freedom piece. The, the freedom is why most of us start doing this, right? It's like, man, I don't want to have to work for someone else. Like, I want to make my own rules. I want to, like, be able to use the entire skill set that I have. And I want to live life, like, the way that I want to live it. I want to live life on my own terms because you're right. Like, this is something I come back to over and over and over again is, like, when I am 90, like, hopefully living on, uh, on my deathbed there, and I'm looking back on my life. Like, what is it that I want to be able to say I did with my life, right? Like, do I want to say that I went to a cubicle for nine to five every single day? Or do I want to say I did something really cool with my life and I was free and I did the things that I actually wanted to do? So I think that's like such a huge, important piece to it. It's so, and, and I always say this, you know, you can love your 
your nine to five. And that's, that's unbelievable. And you, you will be a lot more successful than a lot of entrepreneurs or, you know, majority, because it's a sense of fulfillment. Fulfillment is what we, what we all crave and freedom is another thing. But I think where the misconception is, is starting your own business is the only way to get freedom. I think, no, you can do it while working somewhere. It's just, you need to do what you love and make sure that where you're working or what you're doing is what you love or what your purpose is. And you're not going to love every single thing you do. There's certain things that I can't stand that I do at Midday Squares. For example, I meet a lot of people and I need to put a, I need to meet with well, the people I meet, I need to put them in a CRM. I can't stand that. I, I have to do thousands of people in a CRM and write notes. It kills me. But I know that that's part of the game. I've understood that that's part of the game. Not everything is amazing moments and flowers and sunshine. And what I get to do every day does bring me feelings of flowers and sunshine, but there's there, there's pain. There's a process with it. And you have to know that process is real. Now, I think where I'd like to share a piece is if you're struggling right now where you are in life or you are you know in a company that you started and you're hating it, walk away. I don't care about the money, the bills, anything. You'll figure it out. You're a human. Humans figure things out. We're fascinating people. We're fascinating creatures. The problem with life is we stay in it too long for the wrong reasons. That's what kills us. That's not living. That's not freedom. That's you prisoning yourself. Everyone has a choice. And you have a choice to do what you want in the next moment, or most people do. So take advantage of the ability and the privilege to have the choice. Some people don't. Some people are in a very bad situations in the world and, you know, in a very different situation than, than people are, other people are. But what you could do is if you have that choice, it's always in your power. And once you know that it's your power, you make the decision when you want to make that decision. You have the key to your own self. But for some reason, most people don't want to use the key. Yeah. I don't understand. The fear... Or the judgment of themselves is what's killing them. Yeah, I do. I really think it's the fear. I really do. Because I've been through a number of those moments in my career as well, where, you know, I left like a desk job working in a beige cubicle because I was like, I did it for about 10 years. And I was like, this is not right for like a cubicle life is not the life for me. Right. And so I realized that and I made the jump. And when I made that jump, people were like, that's cr like, how, how could you do that? How could you have so much courage to do that? And I remember just thinking, oh, it's weird that people see this as brave. Like for me, it's like, I didn't have another choice. Like I literally was like, this is the only path to me getting what I want out of life. If I continue to do this other thing over here that I know I hate, like that's not the right path for me. So it was an obvious choice. Um, and then I made the choice again when I decided to close my food business. And I was like, this isn't the right industry for me. Like, it's not the right fit for me for a number of different reasons. And I moved into the consulting space. Like, you have to be thinking about just how precious life is. You have to be thinking about just how short life is. And like, when you think about it in those terms, I think that you can overcome that fear. You can. And everyone has it. Everyone has the ability to do it. Humans are really fascinating and they have met, they're very malleable. They could learn new things. They could, they could change habits. They could do things. I just think that we're our worst enemies and it's, and society, unfortunately reinforces in my opinion, the ability to just do for the sake of doing and not find your passion or take the time to figure it out because they're worried about, you know, bills, this, that there's these pressures, these societal pressures that, that, you know, reiterate not 
taking the leap or not doing what you love because there's a risk. And we just, to here's what I always tell people. The risk is not to, to start something or to change jobs or do what you figure out what you love. The risk is to not do any of that. That is the riskiest life you can live. Being mediocre is no, there's no benefit to it. It's a lose-lose because you end up being unhappy most of the time, unless your mediocrity is you being you, then I respect you tremendously. And I look up to you because I'm still not fully myself. I'm not fully at the level of fulfillment. I'm almost there. I'm working every day to get there. But if someone's happy with their 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 their, their mediocrity and that's who they are and they're, they're that's them unapologetic, then great. Then I'm looking up to you and teach me because I just think that the, the the world has created this sense of it's too it's dangerous to be risky, which I think is the opposite. It's actually oxymoron in my opinion. Yeah, I, I honestly could not agree more. Like it's the biggest risk is doing nothing when you're unhappy. Um, yeah. I want to circle back to the authenticity piece, though, because I think this is something that you do just really, really, really well. And other people have kind of a fear of the level of vulnerability that you display and, you know, Nick and Les display on the internet. It's hard. Like it is not easy putting yourself out there. And especially in situations where maybe you've, you're showing certain flaws or maybe you've made a mistake. There's a failure something has happened. It's most people find that terrifying. So like, tell us a little bit about that. And like, have you always been the type of person that's willing to be vulnerable? So that's a great question. So no, I was not the person to be vulnerable. I've always been sensitive. Um, but prior to Midday Squares, I thought I was unstoppable. I thought I was happy. I thought I was, um, you know, cool in quotations. I thought it was weak to talk about vulnerability and to be transparent and just authentic because I was suffering some things and I would just, I never, I always put up a front, you know, I always put up a, a show and a performance and it was tough. It's tough to keep up with the performance when it's not real, you know, and when you're, when you're being someone else or trying to be somebody else. And then when I, my partners basically told me day one of the business that if we want to start this together, you know, we have to go to therapy altogether, like, you know, like a psychologist. And I was like, yo, that's for unhappy people, you know, depressed people, you know, weaker in quotations. That's my naiveness. And they said to me, they're like, well, we can't do this if you don't do it. Our communication needs to be so strong. We need to be very transparent and vulnerable with each other. So we stay aligned and we're family as well to protect that partnership and friendship. And I just basically told them, no, I don't want to do it. And they're like, well, you can't join as the third founder. And they were dead serious. And then the moment I basically said, do I really want to be part of Midday Squares or not? And if I do that, I'm going to commit to it. And I did. So I committed to it. And after five sessions, it became so powerful. It became one of my favorite, you know, tools that you you can hopefully have in your toolbox. And I'm now a huge advocate for therapy and talk therapy and, and going through and being vulnerable. So over time, I start to be more and more vulnerable, admit to just what life is. Like it's so refreshing to just be yourself, be real. When you are real and you're not hiding things, you just feel less tension in your body you feel less bricks on your shoulder you'd have less to lie about like it's just like there's an it's a no-brainer but it took me to go to many therapy sessions to realize that you know therapy is a sign of strength not weakness mental health is a strength if you look at it like that and you work on it it is a strength and you know it's empowering to go to therapy because you're working on yourself you're becoming you know a strong 
stronger person, a more, a more, a better person, a better performer. So I call it performance coaching. And I just think that that's, that took 25 years to realize. Right. And now I don't know if I'd live without it. I don't know if I could. So it's like, yeah, the vulnerability has allowed me to connect with a lot of people, allowed me to build relationships that I never thought that I would be able to build. Uh, friendships that are deep, they're actually depth related, not surface level. And um, it's felt very liberating to just be vulnerable. And it's hard, by the way, it's uncomfortable. It's, it's, it's very scary. But once you get the hang of it, it almost becomes so refreshing, like a freshly pressed. It feels like I honestly being transparent or vulnerable feels like you're drinking on a summer day, hot outside. You have a freshly squeezed orange juice and you take that first sip, that quench, that craving, that taste. That's what it feels like. It's the endorphins rocking. It's everything. But the moment you keep the lies going to keep the being somebody else, the tension is just it's anxiety and stress. You don't need that. It's unnecessary. That's interesting that you're saying that it's coming from a place of like, this is actually good for my mental health. Like literally being vulnerable, putting myself out there is really, really good for my mental health. And as you're talking, I can literally feel my blood pressure going down and down and down because you're talking about like just being open and being yourself. And it's um, it's disarming, right? And I think that's something that a lot of people really like about you is when you're talking to somebody who is as open and honest as you are, it's very disarming. Like it makes me more comfortable. I'm sure it makes other people more comfortable around you because you can feel like, oh, I can be myself around this person. I can just be me. And so I imagine it helps you build a lot better relationships with people. It's it's allowed me to build true real real relationships, quality that I call these people friends. Um, and I've been through many friends. I've had turnover the last five years because when you build start a business, you sacrifice a lot of your social life, right? You sacrifice a lot of your time, your your excess time that goes into either recovering or recharging yourself to perform again, or you just don't have the time, right? So. Um, yeah, I find that the vulnerability has built a lot more trust with people and has, has also made people that would typically not like me, like me and me, the same thing with me. And like, you know, for me, I, I, I dress funky. I, I wear glasses indoors. I, I look crazy, but it's intimidating to a lot of folks at first. They're like, this guy must be a, an, a, a not a nice person just cause he looks like that. And then when they hear me speak and they hear, they hear me talk they're like, no, this is I had the opposite judgment of you is the wrong judgment. And it happens literally once a week. And I just, it makes me happy because I'm being myself the way I like to look. I like to look crazy and wild, but when they get to know me at the depth level, they're like, wow, it's refreshing. Right? So I just think that again, for anyone out there that's listening to this, authenticity is your superpower. Use it. It's what makes you so different than everyone else in the world. Your DNA is different. That's the only thing that's different. We can wear the same sunglasses. We can create the same exact products. We can do the same marketing strategy. What we cannot do is copy. I cannot copy how you make someone feel and you cannot copy how I make someone feel because that is our true authenticity. So why are we as a society not using that? It's in all of our toolboxes. Use it, embrace it. And a lot of time when you're authentic, your vulnerability will come out. 
People talk so much in various industries about like finding your niche, right? Everybody's talking about finding your niche, but at the end of the day, your niche is you. It's you. It's who you are. It's the vibe you bring to the table. It's how you interact with other people. And I think people forget about that. And then they end up creating this like really siloed, really specific niche in a certain industry. And it's like, no, that's not it. Like, just be yourself. Like, that's your niche. That's your thing. But I do feel like it's one thing to be like vulnerable and honest with your co-founders, with your friends, with your family, things like that, building relationships with other people, um, whether in person or virtually. But it's a whole other level to be vulnerable and authentic and show up as your real self on the internet, on social media, in front of your customers. Is there like ever any worry that you have about that around like how people will perceive you when you show up because you guys do you show up very boldly and you say like here is the good the bad and the ugly right like here's the flaws here's the crap we're dealing with today our machine broke down like we almost got sued we almost lost like a ton of money and so is there ever any fear that people are going to look at you in a negative light because you have those issues So, yeah. yeah. So first of all, there's trolls out there and there's a lot. And with the internet, there's more. And in, I think the social media. So at first that was like a big, uh, a fear of mine was I, I, what if someone puts me down for being vulnerable or makes fun of me? You know, I've slanted teeth. You could see in the, and that's, that, that was one of my biggest insecurities. And that means like, I didn't want to speak. Right. I want to keep my mouth shut. And someone did make fun of it early on. And, uh, it was uh, it was hurtful, and I, I felt really uncomfortable, and it made me want to shut down because once you get that type of critique, um, sorry, yeah, critique or criticism, and you feel bad about yourself, right? And then then I start to realize that like, why do I care? This person means nothing to me, and I start to realize that trolling is not a me problem; it's a that person problem. That person's suffering, and if I just look at it like that, that the person's hurting and inside. Me as a human, how can I help that human? You know, we're on the same planet. How can I give support? So I would reach out now and say, hey, everything all good? Like, are you okay? And, you know, six out of 10 times, I always say those people actually engage and want to have a conversation and apologize for saying something because they didn't mean it. They didn't want to say it. They were going through a bad day or they were in a moment of their life. Now it's like, you know, four to 10 times they're just mean people and that those I'll just keep them in my life forever. But I just look at things differently now. And it's like, yeah, like I'm not like, what, what's the worst case? I know I'm a good person, right? So, you know, what's someone going to say? They're going to make something up about me. They're going to, they're going to laugh my slanted teeth. Like, I don't care. Um, what I care about is how can I help that person? Because obviously something's wrong with them in terms of you know what they're going through in life. And I feel bad, you know, because there's nothing worse. You know, you should never want someone to lose or someone to, um, you know, fail unless they're really, really, really bad, bad, bad person, which would mean like criminal activities and all that stuff and, and bullies and all that stuff. But even that you shouldn't want it. This, this game of life is, is not zero sum. You know, I think people think that because I do well, you, you can't do well, or you do well, I can't do well. It's like, no, we can all do great together. Um, even if we're competitors, I think that that's what makes life awesome. But the mindset we're still as a society are not there yet. So, when I get trolled, that was my biggest fear. Now I'm not fearful of it anymore. And and the vulnerability, yes, there's moments where people make fun of, but I know it's a them problem. So I'm, I just, it's less of, I care. It's more, sorry, it's less that I'm, I'm rattled or pissed off. It's more that I feel, I feel bad and I want to help. 
Yeah. Uh, and I think like, you're absolutely right that most people aren't going to negatively respond, right? Like the trolls are just like a small number of people that are very loud on the internet. And I think it's a, such a great way of looking at it that like, this is not a critique of me. This isn't like something negative about me. This isn't a me problem. This is, they have something going on in their lives, right? They're having a bad day. Like there's something that's going on, right? But the majority of people, I think actually genuinely appreciate the authenticity and the transparency that you guys have. Um, I know for me, I remember seeing, this was actually when I first started following you. Um, I remember seeing like you guys did a flashback of here's our manufacturing facility now. And it was this like great automated facility. And then there was this flashback of like, here's what it used to look like. And you had like 10 KitchenAid stand mixers like lined up one next to the other. And for me, as somebody who was starting a food business, and that is exactly what my production looked like, it made me go from feeling like, oh crap, I'm failing at this because I can't afford to buy automated manufacturing equipment right now. And so I have to go out and buy all these stupid KitchenAid stand mixers. And I felt like my business was like janky and I was throwing it together and I was failing in that process. But then to see you guys come out the other side of it, you've been quite successful and you're like, no, this is how we started too. I think it really helps to like keep other people going and keep them feeling like, yeah, I'm actually on the right path here. I am doing it right. It's just going to take a bit more time. Yeah. And like, we're all on our own journeys and some things will relate, which is great. But at the end of the day, you're on your own journey. So it, it could take a hundred years to build what you want to build or, or do the job you want to do, or it could take you with two years. And, and, I think comparing and 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 yardsticking is dangerous. I think if you're going to do it for inspiration, it's worth it. Or relatability, meaning that it makes you feel that you're not alone out there, which is really good too, is super important. But I think a lot of us in this world, I think that we're always yardsticking. Hey, why didn't I get that award? Or why did this person do that? And, and that brings back the zero sum game, which is dangerous. And if we just have an abundance mindset, um, you know, we, we start to have a positive mindset where it's like that positive momentum where you want people to when you get fired up by that. But I think that for us, you know, yeah, we show the good, the bad, the ugly to to show that there, yes, there's moments of pure amazingness, but there's 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 a lot of pain. And that pain is what others are going through as well. Similar exact, you know, people like yourself that went through the food, the food business have gone through that. And that kind of makes us all feel a little bit together when we when we talk about that stuff. And we watch other people that do that and it fires us up and it actually inspires and makes us feel a little better. But at the end of the day, like truth be told is like, you can't just show one side of your business because that's not reality. And then hence, if you're not showing reality, you're admitting truth, right? So for the last hundreds of years, a lot of businesses have just omitted that truth. They've just posted only good or perfection. And that's actually today creating a very large wedge or gap, but you know, distance between the customer or the fan and the brand. So for you or anyone that's going to start a business, your again, your superpower is your authenticity. It is a way to build trust very quickly. It's a way to build fandom very quickly. It's also a way to turn people off very quickly, which is good because those people shouldn't be in your section. They shouldn't be part of your business or buying your stuff if they don't like you. They hate what you stand for. They hate everything about you. Then why should why do you want them on your journey? You know, why do they need that negativity? 
So I think that that's, that, that's my piece. That that's my, my, my thing, but again, transparency and vulnerability lead to relatability. So whether it's a business or your personal life, it doesn't make a difference. It's relatability, just powerful. Does it take courage though, to show up like that? Like, I know you're saying like, it's, it's really good. It's good for you. Like in terms of your mental health, it's good for your business, but I know that there's a lot of people out there and this includes myself that they maybe want to be more authentic and they want to be more transparent. They want to show up with the relatable content, but like, they're just scared to do it. How do you get yourself like past that moment of fear? Listen, I still have a little bit of fear. Uh, I, I still fear things, you know, before I get on stage, I speak weekly and I still get the butterflies in the stomach, sometimes poo-poo, like a lot of poo-poo before. <laughs> um, and the way I do it is, is again, self-belief, unconditional self-belief makes you realize that you deserve to be here. And this is, this is why you are who you are. You're specialist. You're, you're unique. Now lean into it. Um, you know, and also the world is, this is another thing is we're all going to, we're all going to die, unfortunately. And you're here for, you don't know how long. So everything you get to do where your feet are, you're presently on the ground. You might as well give it 150%. You might as well be unapologetically yourself because that could be your last moment. So why would you not want to? Why live in another world that's not enjoyable or not yourself or not something that you actually believe in just for the sake of showing it when you don't know if tomorrow is going to be here or if you're going to exist tomorrow. So those are the two big things is like, we're mortal. We, we, we could die. Like, you know, like there's no reason to let the fear take away from an opportunity, rather lean into the fear as a potential strength, as a potential kickstart, as a potential opportunity and a privilege. Yeah. Feel the fear and do it anyway. Right. And like, even feeling the fear you're saying is like an indication that you probably should be doing it because this is your opportunity to show up as yourself. Yeah. Show up every day yourself and you win life. You just win. I love that. I love that. So then let's talk a little bit about um, your brand because you guys have built a massive brand, a massive community, a massive following. I imagine that showing up authentically has been a part of that for sure. But what else do you feel has led to this level of success that you guys have had? I just think that storytelling is powerful and products. Once you have product market fit, which in my opinion is the, is the most important, the necessity. The second thing is, is tell a story because today we connect via social media and storytelling is surrounded by us everywhere in the world. So if you're not storytelling, then you're missing out as a brand and as a person. So for me, I think what Midday Squares did well was it told a story and a story that was real, that was authentic, but it was a story that also, you know, added value emotionally to people. So it wasn't just stupidity or, you know, push selling you. It was, oh, this made me laugh. This made me sad. This made me anxious. It made you feel something. And when you do that, your interest and curiosity spike up. So we took that playbook and we just scaled it. We went hard on it and it, it, it works. It works because humans interact daily via storytelling. And when you hit it at those things that are human nature components, rather than I'm going to push sell you and throw things down your throat and force information. It's a different game. So I think that that's been a huge part of our success is, is being getting better and better every day at storytelling or telling a good story. Yeah. I've noticed that you guys would rarely post 
a post where you're just saying like, here's our product, here are the features of our product. Like, and that it's funny because that's what most product entrepreneurs show up and do is like, here's our product. Here's why you should buy it. Right. Yeah. Listen, I think that that that's 2005, you know, if you want to be stuck in 2005, then go ahead. But today you, you have to earn the privilege of the consumer's attention. And the only way to earn it is to add value to their lives. The other way is just to force information by paying for their attention, but then you're paying for it. So it's not real. And it's not bad to do paid ads and all that stuff, but paid ads via storytelling is way more powerful than paid ads via selling. And um, I just think that the world's different today than it was 15, 20 years ago because of social media democratized the attention, giving it back to the consumer rather than, you know, the, the attention being in the power of the brand. It's now, hey, the, the consumer can choose to opt in or opt out of your your content or your marketing. Yeah. And I think so many people are really sick of seeing ad, like paid ads. They're just sick of seeing like, hey, here's my product. Buy my thing. Here's why it's better. Here's why you should buy it. Like it's on sale and, you know, all the flashing lights and all of the rest. It's like people are just really sick of being sold to. And I think that consumers are becoming um, even more conscious and even more aware of the different sales tactics that are being used as well. So it's not just the like, hey, here's my product, you should buy this. It's also like, oh, I have this great course for you and here's what you can learn from my great course. And like, we all see it, right? And so when they're trying to promote this like free webinar, you know, at the end of the free webinar, they're gonna sell you on something. So consumers are so used to seeing this stuff nowadays that you have to do something different in order to, I think this is what you're saying, in order to capture their attention and stop their scroll, you have to be saying something different from that. You have no choice. There's, there's yeah. not even a choice today. If you want to succeed, you have no choice. So then you guys do um, direct a customer and you've built a brand and a really, really strong brand, a really strong community, really strong following but you also have um, a retail strategy as well. So you sell into stores. So how have those two differed and has one supported the other? Well, so the, the continuous factor is that storytelling and content creation is, is part of both. Uh, the, sec the thing with that is the more awareness you have, the more people want to try your product or believe in your brand or become a fan of. So they'll want to support it when they see it at retail. The second difference between the strategies is, sorry, the actual difference is that we use a lot of influencer marketing for um, retail. So to push, to show where the product is in the store, which I think is important. And then the third marketing strategy for retail is, is, is merchandising, you know, investing in placements and merchandising. Our product's located in the refrigerated section of the store. So it's very difficult to find it. So making sure that we can get double facings or, you know, two sections in a store, you know, extra placements, you know, multiple products there. That's the real win because then that not only gets the customers that are searching for a product, but we get a lot of discovery as well. And visibility is key and in stock is key. So it's a game of logistics. It's it's simply our marketing strategy at retail is, is become very operational or logistically excellent. And then, you know, build relationships at the retail level to get those, earn those second placements or those, you know, secondary spots in the store, supplement that with the continuous online content, which is building the brand and the awareness they then got to find the product in store and they're like, oh, I want to buy that product. I love those people. I love the brand, what they stand for. I'm going to give it a chance. I'm cheering them on. Yeah. I feel like you have done such a good job of building relationships at the retail level as well. Like I see those videos of you dancing with the retailers and it's phenomenal, right? Like the fact that you can convince these guys to like, and usually they're, you know, middle-aged guys 
to get on social media and dance with you is like, that's next level. That is a next level relationship you've built with them. It's too good. It's actually too good. Yeah. It's fantastic. Make friends first, make friends first then do business. Okay. Yes, absolutely. And I think it speaks to kind of what we were talking about when you're advertising direct to customer as well. Like you can't just walk into a store and talk about your product and talk about how great your product is and talk about how much better it is than the other products they have on their shelf. There also has to be this relationship building piece. And most people don't realize that it's equally as important, maybe more important than the product itself. 100%. I think that this has been an amazing conversation. Um, and I know after this conversation, everybody's going to want to figure out how to connect with you, how to watch what you're doing on socials and where and how to buy midday squares. So can you tell us a little bit about where they can find you? So first off, if you want to follow us on social, you'll love the entertainment. So follow midday squares on TikTok and Instagram and even LinkedIn. And the second, if you want to connect with me personally, uh, add me on LinkedIn, Jake Carls. I'm always happy to engage. Just hit me up, message me, or Jake Carls, I think, underscore on Instagram, happy as well. But uh, if you want to find Midday Squares product, you could either go on our website on www.middaysquares.com and the store locator page to find where it is closest to you. Again, in the refrigerated section of the store, or you can buy on our website, D2C. It ships within like, you know, two days, three days, and uh, you can get it to your home like that. But Again, we're available all over Target in the U.S., Sprouts, Whole Foods, Whole Foods here. You know, we have all kinds of stores, Metro, Sobeys, IGA, wherever you are, uh, some Loblaws and uh, Walmart Canada. Again, refrigerate section, but most importantly, connect with me. I'm, I love I love engaging with people, um, especially on the topics that we talked about today in, in the podcast. I think that's my passion and my mission. So hit me up and I gr- I'm grateful that you even listened to this. If you got here till now, I'm happy that you got to listen to the conversation. I guess we did a good job. Amazing. I'm certain that everybody listened to the end because this was such a good conversation. So thank you so much, Jake, for being on the show. Um, It was such a pleasure to have you. You're a rock star.